think probably if a if not another word was spoken, we could already say God's already shown up this morning in a mighty way. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Liz. That was amazing. I'm going to go ahead and dive right in uh, today. If you were here last week, um, I kind of started a, a small series. I didn't get the title out there uh, last week, but it hasn't left me, uh, and it's really not an important enough title to kind of put up on the screen. It's just something I kind of had in my mind, and it's really is kind of amazing that, that Liz chose to sing Amazing Grace, the House of the Rising Sun, this morning, because kind of the the title to this series would be, I guess, What's So Amazing About Grace? Um, you know, that's kind of the, the question that's been in my mind the last couple of weeks. Last week, um, I tried to paint, if you were here, I tried to paint a, a clearer picture maybe for us uh, of what all is involved in, in the definition um, of grace. We looked at the word uh, the Greek word for grace used in uh, the Greek text of Scripture called charis, spelled C-H-A-R-I-S. Um, we specifically looked at uh, four different components to that Greek word charis. We first looked at the proper meaning of the word, uh, which a proper meaning of the word is the way the word is used in conversation and language. Um, we looked at Scripture and saw that Jesus gave us a, um, a flawless example of how to interact with other human beings, um, saved, not saved, like, dislike, doesn't matter. Uh, the way he spoke was in a graceful way, uh, and his words produced joy. Uh, they produced excitement. They put people at ease. You know, they answered people's questions, and they left people kind of wanting more of him. You know, and, and I think that's a perfect example uh, for us in how to use grace in our everyday language. The second way, that uh, the, the second kind of angle we looked at uh, for the word charis was that, you know, it kind of produces a, a goodness. There's a loving kindness there, you know, and, and, and we get the idea that God kind of bestowed this goodness and this loving kindness on us, even though we're very undeserving, even though we're very vile creatures. We know through original sin, we've never gotten past that. There's nothing we could ever have done on our own that would have gotten us out of original sin of Adam. But through God's grace and through the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, we have received that. We, we receive that gift of grace. It's free. The only catch is we have to accept it. We have to have that defining moment, that defining decision at some point in our lives where we say, you know what? I'm tired of kind of spinning on my own. I'm tired of trying to figure things out on my own. It's not really working well for me. I want to tap into what he has. I want to tap into what she has. You know, maybe you've been coming to the Grove and maybe you've noticed uh, people who are, are Christ followers in this congregation and you say, you know, there's just, there's such a joy in that person. Or, or you may say that, you know, I, I think of my, 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 my paternal grandmother. You know, she was a lady full of grace. And that's the only word I could use to, to describe her. And now I have a better understanding when I think of her. You know, there was, a, there was a majesty about her. She produced joy in me. You know, she was also the lady who took me, started taking me to church when I was young. So, you know, of course, she probably has a profound impact on me. The third angle we looked at was kind of after you, after you accept that grace, kind of what is, what is the charge? You know, what's, what's, what's the catch after you accept you know, what is due by grace was the question. What do we owe? There's a, there's, a, there's a debt there. 
And basically, it's pretty simple. We're just not to sit on our hands. You know, we looked at examples of Paul charging us to kind of get off our butts and go out and do something with the gift that God has given us. Go out and share it with other people. And lastly, Paul showed us the fourth aspect of grace in being thankful. And we looked at uh, Scripture in 1 Timothy. We tried to look at Scripture in 1 Timothy. I couldn't find it, remember? Sorry. I'll, I'll do better today. And we see that Paul was full of thank, thankfulness when he was talking about who really became almost like a son to him in Timothy, kind of charging him to carry the torch that, that Paul had carried for so long and to continue the ministry as Paul was nearing the end of his life. Uh, so he was, he was um, kind of thanking God for, for the grace of, of, of being able to have Timothy in his life for as long as he had. Today, I would like to move to kind of a second piece of grace, and I'd like to, to, to kind of look for just a moment at how grace shows up in our lives, okay? Whether you're a Christ follower or whether you're not, grace still shows up in your life, and, and grace shows up primarily in two ways, okay? And before we do that, let's bow our heads in prayer, please. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for already pouring your spirit upon this place, Lord. I pray that you can to pour out your love, pour out your Holy Spirit on each one of us, God. Uh, speak through me, speak the words that you want us to hear, God. I pray that your scripture be magnified today. In your name I pray, amen. The first aspect of grace that kind of shows up in our life um, is called common grace. And if you'll take your Bible and open up to the book of Romans, to the book of Romans, chapter 3, we're going to look at a few verses in Romans chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 10. And this is going to give us kind of a good foundation for how common grace or universal grace shows up in each one of our lives, regardless of your, regardless of your beliefs. And I hear some pages turning there, so I'll give you just a second. Romans chapter 3, verse 10. It says... As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together became worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. It's a, it's a pretty bleak pretty bleak picture painted there uh, in Romans right there. And when you're using words like um, their throats are open graves, tongues practice deceit, poison of viper is, is on their lips, ruin and misery mark their ways. What the... What that scripture is trying to say is that regardless of who you are, regardless of what you do, regardless of whether you have had that salvation experience or have not, regardless of whether you're a pastor, you're Billy Graham, or the worst person on the face of the earth, we are all equal in God's eyes. No one is righteous. No one is worthy of any kind of saving grace, period. And I think those verses 10 through 18 are pretty clear where we stand in God's eyes. 
apart from Jesus. Apart from Jesus, this is the way he sees us as humanity. This is the way we are. And he doesn't sugarcoat it. That tends to be the way he works there. So, you know, but sometimes we, we, we kind of ask our question, you know, we kind of ask ourselves questions like, you know, well, there's, there's, there's bad things that happen. You know, why do I, you know, I wish I'd had a, a dollar for every time I've heard this question asked when bad times or tragedy happens. You know, where is God in these moments? You know, I think I even mentioned last week uh, in some of the, you know, problem I've been having uh, the last year and a half or so, there's been times where I've probably even questioned that. You know, where are you at right now, God? Where's the grace right now? Where's your strength, love, and mercy right now? You know, and, and you've probably all either been in those moments or you've seen people in, in those moments when pain, tragedy, death, whatever hits, and you may, and, and, and people may not say it, but you can see it written in their actions, or you may, you may even hear it in their words. I believe that those things happen, that we notice those things only because of the blessings and the common grace that God sheds upon us and all the beautiful things that we do have. I think, for me, I only notice bad because of all the good and all the blessings that I have in my life that I don't deserve. And I can look back pre-salvation for me, and I still had blessings, and I still had positive things, and I still had advantages and beauty in my life that I did not deserve. Why? Why? I hadn't accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, yet I didn't do that until I was a much later age. But I still had blessings. I had great parents. I had a great extended family. I had a great school experience. I had my health. I didn't deserve any of that. The only way to explain that is a common grace, a universal grace that God gives every one of us. Why? Simply because he is a loving and kind God. For this message. <laughs> he certainly has other aspects to him. But at... The heart, God is a loving and kind God. He puts so many positives around us. And really, God restrains kind of the full expression of how bad sinfulness could be for us. It's only through common grace that God even allows us to continue to exist. Saved, unsaved, doesn't matter. Because if it wasn't for his loving kindness, then we would kind of be all be consumed in his wrath and anger. Because we know he despises sin. He hates sin. He loathes it. And that's what we are, aside from, from, from Christ. And even, even being a Christ follower, you know, you're still the struggle every day with sin. And we know God despises those things. But he still, he still bestows his loving kindness and mercy and his grace upon us when we don't deserve it, when really probably what we deserve is for you just to take us all out. He's given us a conscience. And then I always think this is, kind of, this is kind of amazing. I hear people talk about conscience. When I talk about my conscience as a Christ follower, my conscience is, is, is the Holy Spirit in me. That's, that's God in me. That's, that's, some, that's a part of God that is, that is within us that kind of helps drive us. It, it kind of helps tell us the difference between right and wrong. But even Christ followers have a moral compass. Even Christ followers have a compass. And I believe that God puts that in humanity to kind of keep the evil and the negative things at check. 
lest we all be consumed by it. You know, if you want to make a note, you can take a look at Romans 2, Romans chapter 2 and verse 15 kind of talks about this. He does other things for us through common grace. He, he maintains order in our lives through government that provides laws for us, that, you know, gives us jobs, sets us up with, with protection through military and law enforcement. You know, I believe, and the Bible speaks to that, he helps us maintain order in our lives through government. Because he references in Scripture, he expects us to follow those things. And that's for a reason. He enables us to admire beauty in nature. He gives those things to us. Rain, sunshine, trees, mountains. All those things are from God and they're all beautiful and they're all good. And everybody can enjoy, can enjoy them. It's not, it's not like all of a sudden when I decided to accept Jesus, everything became that much more clear and the the mountains were that much more beautiful and snow falling on the ground was that much more majestic. It didn't change any of that. It was still beautiful before. But to me, it was even more beautiful after because I really understood where all of that came from and what a magnificent gift that is from God. You know, he gives everyone blessings and, and, and advantages. And he does those things to hopefully point humans to him. You know, to work and they say, you know, I wonder where all this comes from. I wonder why I feel so good, you know, when I watch my young kid do this. You know, I'm so proud. Or I taught myself to play guitar. Or I've accomplished this at work. And you get that good feeling, you know. And you start questioning. And you get philosophical with yourself. I wonder where that comes from. I wonder why, why, why. You know, and that's God. That's the Holy Spirit pointing you towards him. I think he gives you those blessings, he gives you those advantages through common grace to point you towards him. But those things are just temporary. You know, the, the, the blessings, the advantages, the, the positives, all the good things in your life, without salvation, without accepting the grace through Jesus Christ, those things are just temporary. They fall away. And, and we all know that. Anything that produces the utmost joy in this world, this thing's so finicky, can be taken away. You know, I think back to the birth of my first child. You know, so excited, everything's, pre- you know, everything's prepared. It's taken so long to, to get pregnant with her. It's been a struggle, you know, watching my wife go through the emotional ups and downs of that. And then... You know, finally get pregnant, and you go through and you hope everything's okay, and then, you know, labor happens, and you're still, you know, you're so excited, and, you know, you butterflies in your stomach, and, you know, and you're ready for life to be there, and a new child to be in your life, you know, and, and, and we were so excited, and then there was such, almost a tragedy, such a complication with my daughter, my, my daughter actually came out not breathing for five and a half minutes. You know, and I can remember her coming out, seeing my daughter come out and be just, I, I was overcome with joy to tears, moved to tears. Several of you guys have been there. If you have children or your own, you've been in that moment. There's no joy like that. And I'm talking within five seconds, it was completely gone when I realized that she was not breathing. 
that joy, that happiness was so temporary, such a high to go to such a low. You know, and it's moments like that when bad things happen and tragedy happens that common grace, for me, it's just not good enough. It's temporary. It's fleeting. I'm not a strong enough person. And guess what? Neither are you in those moments to be able to be strong enough to get through those moments and say, I I understand. I got this. I'm happy even though. It just doesn't happen that way. You can put on a front, you can say that, but in your heart and in your mind, you know you're not. So for me, I have to have something more than just God's common grace. You know, for me, God pointed me to something different, a different kind of grace. And I chose to accept that, and that's called a saving grace. And that's the, if you're making notes, that's the second way that grace shows up in our lives. It's the amazing grace that Liz and the band sang about. It's charis. Shows up in our daily lives. It's we receive that through making that choice to accept grace through God's gift of Jesus Christ. The death he had on the cross and the resurrection thereafter. That is saving grace. If you will flip over to the book of Titus, two or three books over in the New Testament from Romans. Tiny little book. Titus chapter 2 in verse 11. We'll kind of read uh, what God has to say about his saving grace. Titus chapter 2 verses 11 through 14. It says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Now, for me, that's, that's a stark contrast to what we read earlier in Romans 3. Agreed? Romans 3 was kind of a bleak picture of who we are. Some very negative words there. And aside from Christ, that's how God sees us. Through Christ, we see a totally different story. Totally different story. Much more positive picture. But saving grace was an action for God. It's something He did. He gave His Son, Jesus Christ, to us as the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. That was an action. You know, and I'm not, I'm not a great English or literature teacher at all, but I know that an action is a verb, and that typically produces results, right? When we accept the result of that action should be us accepting Jesus Christ and the saving grace that comes with that. And with that comes, I referenced it earlier, is probably maybe one of the greatest gifts that God gives us, the Holy Spirit. We are kind of infused with the Holy Spirit once we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, 
You know, he, he imparts the Holy Spirit into us. You know, and the Holy Spirit does several things. The Holy Spirit uh, it convicts us of sin. It reminds us of righteousness. We just mentioned that in Scripture. It allows us to be able to fellowship with God, which is an amazing thing, the God of the universe. The Holy Spirit is kind of our, our lifeline to God. You know, our, our, I guess if you're old school, it's a, it's, it's a telephone line to God. I guess if you're young, you don't really realize what a telephone cord was. If you're really young, you remember when you talked to your girlfriend or boyfriend and had the old stretchy cord that could go from here to the back of the church so you could, so you could hide from your parents and go, yeah. You've all been there. <laughs> Saving grace, you know, it, it kind of empowers us. You know, it provides a strength. I go back to that moment, you know, when my, when my daughter was born, you know, and literally laying there lifeless, blue, you know, and the team of doctors and nurses rush in, you know, and, and I think, yeah, there was, a, there was worry, you know, and there was fear, but, I, you know, it's, it's, it's hard for me to explain, and I know several in here can't, can't understand it, there was also a very peaceful, calming feeling there, you know, that kind of allowed me to stand there and I guess really kind of put on a, you know, a, a peaceful facade, you know, a peaceful facade. But, but it was, really wasn't a facade. I was really kind of peaceful. And, and I can't explain it because my, you know, my, my newborn daughter was essentially dead. And, and you know, I mean, there, my wife's crying and she's, you know, screaming, what's going on? I don't hear any crying. And, trying to calm her down and you know doctors are working on my daughter feverishly and I you know I was just there was such a calm there you know I was and in that moment I realized you know that was the Holy Spirit kind of empowering me in that moment kind of giving me strength that I certainly didn't have on my own in that moment because that's what my wife needed who knows you know later on I learned that the doctor who ended up saving my daughter, needed that strength too. Because that was one of the first babies that he had ever delivered. I didn't know that at the time. <laughs> Afterwards, he said, you know, there was a couple moments I just saw you kind of standing there and you had such a peaceful look on your face, James, and I couldn't understand why you weren't trying to hit me with a chair, you know. And, and I, you know, and, and he, he's a Christ follower too. And I said, you know, the only thing I can explain is it's just the grace of God, Doc. You know, because it certainly wasn't. He said, well, I certainly needed it in that moment. But we're, through that salvation, through the Holy Spirit, we continue to grow. We continue to become empowered. You know, we, we, we know in the original Greek, you know, the third aspect, what is due, don't sit on your hands, continue to grow, move, do something. You know, saving grace is the same way. That Holy Spirit in you will, will cause you to question it will cause you to want to learn, will want to do, to not sit on your hands. It will want you to be active, to find a church, to fellowship with other people, you know, to get under the, uh, the tutorship of a, of a pastor, you know, to make friends and, and have brothers and sisters in Christ surround you and help you and support you in good times and in bad. Saving grace will cause you to want to do those things. It will cause you to want to read your Bible, to want to pray when things are good and when, things, and when times are bad. 
And I'll argue you'll never really be as low for as long. Because it's not common grace extended to any person that's only temporary and fading. It's eternal. And God doesn't fade. He doesn't get weak. He isn't moody. He doesn't have moments where he turns his attention and his strength to other other things. He's all, all powerful all the time. And what a great thing to be able to tap into. We'll invite the band back up at this time. Jesus promises, makes a promise to us. And I think any time my eternal father makes a promise to me, I want to pay attention. I want to take notice. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus makes a promise to us. He says, if we commit to him, if we accept that saving grace that he has to offer through the cross, he says we'll receive at least... 100 times the blessing in this life and in the life to come of the person that doesn't accept that. It's pretty powerful. You know, to me, that's a win-win. All I have to do, all I had to do was accept what God had to offer, the gift of grace through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's all I had to do. And I, you know, very rarely have I ever felt, you know, compelled to just sit on my hands and be lazy in my faith. Most of the time, it's kind of like you've got ants in your pants, you know? You're like, what else can I do? How else can I kind of push myself in this way and that way to further his kingdom? I think it's amazing Jesus makes us that promise. You know, but I'll be honest with you, and I, some of you may not like this. I don't care, though. There's a, you know, I always kind of growing up and even as an, even as an adult, I, I see some of those pastors on TV, uh, not all of them, and I'm not going to mention any by name. And I've even listened to some here and there through through the years, and they always paint a positive, happy-go-lucky, filled full of flowers salvation experience. And, and I don't want you to confuse what I'm saying this morning. I don't, I don't want you to think that, that what I'm saying in, in saving grace means that, that God is never going to, you know, that God is always going to make things great for you. There's never going to be bad times in your life. I, I hope, if anything, I've shown you through the example of my daughter's birth that bad things can happen to Christ followers and will happen. And those things happen because, like I've already said, we live in a broken world, an evil world. And it's only through God's common grace and, and saving grace that more bad things don't happen. So there will be persecution. There is persecution. There are bad things that happen. And that's kind of the second part. Uh, if you look in, in Mark 10, he also talks about that. You know, Jesus says, if you, if you take up your cross and follow me, there, will, there can be these things that happen. I've uh, invited Kirby up here. Kirby did our giving moment last week uh, and, and, and did an amazing job. So I've asked him again this week uh, to do our giving moment. This is a special time here at the Grove. Um, Kirby's going to share some thoughts with us, and then the baskets will pass, and Liz has got a special song for us, and then I'll come back up and have some closing moments. So it's all yours, Kirby.